strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here this morning. Um, while you were asleep, uh, we have these some comments from the National Security Council spokesperson, John Kirby. Um, there was a, an interaction between a U.S. drone in international airspace, a U.S. drone and a Russian fighter jet. The U.S. drone was forced out of the sky. There's a lot of upheaval about this and what's going on. They scrambled some jets from, I believe, Germany and the U.K. Um, so this could have turned into a major international incident. Not to be surprised, the Russians are blaming the U.S. for this. So, uh, John Kirby, I want you to hear a couple of things talking about this not escalating because are we going to find ourselves in a military conflict with Russia? Now, the concern will be, before you hear the soundbite, from at least this perspective, is that we are not necessarily concerned about a military conflict with the Russians um, because I don't think they can stack up to us militarily when they're at full strength. But after what's been going on in Ukraine, I don't think that they're capable. But they do have the backing of other nations. Do we want to have this threat of a world war, the threat of the Chinese intervening? Now, all of a sudden, you've got the two biggest militaries, but the two biggest economies on the planet. It's serious possibility of a war. What would that do to the entire world? So with that in mind, with that as the backdrop, this is John Kirby talking about the possibility of escalation. Somebody could have gotten hurt. Nobody wants to see that happen. And it could lead to, to miscalculations between, you know, two militaries that are operating not obviously uh, in Ukraine together, but certainly in, in proximity in the region. And we don't want to see this war escalate beyond what it already has done to the uh, Ukrainian people. Uh, and so this is clearly this was inappropriate, uh, unsafe, unprofessional conduct by the Russian pilots. So the, the Russians are blaming the U.S. And so the question is, John Kirby's talking about any kind of proof. We obviously refute the Russian denial, and I think anybody, uh, after a year now, Jake, should take everything that the Russians say about what they're doing in and around Ukraine with a huge grain of salt. As for proof, we're looking at some imagery to see if, if any of that might be suitable to put out there, but no decisions yet made on that. So the concern is now, and one of the one of the issues is the recovery of this drone. What happens if the Russians are to get there first? And if the Russians were to get to that drone and recover what's left of it before the Americans or before the uh, one of our allies can get to it? And here's how John Kirby responded to that. What I can say is that uh, we've taken steps to protect uh, our equities with respect to that particular drone, that particular uh, aircraft, uh, and it's the United States property. Uh, we obviously don't want to see anybody uh, getting their hands on it beyond us. This is um, this is why I'm not much of an isolationist. I'm, I'm not a, what they call a neocon. I'm not somebody that believes that we should be the world's police force or we should be actively sending our military and spreading uh, capitalism around the world. But I do think we have to have our hand in many different things. There are a couple of stories out there that in Central America, I would, I would even say Latin America, in Latin American countries, um, the Chinese are now making a concerted effort to get involved economically. We know the Chinese are making deals with the Saudis and talking about dealing in oil in Chinese currency and not U.S. currency. We know that in Syria, Russia got very involved in Syria, wanting, looking at the footprint of where they are in that region of the world, wanting the economic backup of being a part of that. Other nations are involved diplomatically, if not militarily, certainly diplomatically with other nations. And we've got to pay very close attention to that. If we are watching the battle lines being drawn, if we're watching sides being chosen, imagine the Chinese, Russian, Iranian, North Korean group against the rest of the world. And that is a serious concern for all involved.
You know, we have strong ties to Europe. We have strong ties to a lot of our allies. But at what point are, do we have to look at what's happening and, and step in? And what you don't want to do is wait too long. You want to make sure you're intervening and keeping things at a minimum. And when something like this happens, when the Russians – and is this a desperate move? Is this a desperate move by Vladimir Putin because is he at the end of his rope? There are many people now saying that it's just a fight for survival for the Russians. They were expected to waltz into Ukraine and take this very, very easily. That was the expectation of Vladimir Putin. That was the expectation of many people in Russia. And there were a lot of people in the world that thought that this, that the Ukrainians were not going to put up much of a fight here. Um, how much should the U.S. be involved? Are we too involved? We spent too much time and too much money. Have we given them too much equipment? Have we not given enough? Um, you know, and, and you, we don't live in a vacuum. And again, I, I'm telling you, I don't have all the answers to these questions, at least in my mind. You know, I don't have all the answers. But when you go to Europe, and you tour uh, the D-Day sites. When you look at what happens when the U.S. didn't get involved until, until they were forced into the war by the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor, and then we got into this involved on two fronts, and when you walk Omaha Beach and Utah Beach, when you go to Pointe du Hoc, when you go to these uh, significant places, Belgium and Luxembourg, and you look at the number of American lives that were lost, I'm, ta- I'm being, and I'm speaking, and I don't, I guess it's bad to say, but I'm speaking selfishly as an American. I'm talking just at the uh, from an American. American perspective. When you go to the Pegasus Bridge and you hear people that are still alive that were there when it happened, little children, and now they're you know older people at the end of their life talking about that time period in the world. When you actually stand at the gun turrets at Point du Hoc and you look at those anti-ship guns that they had stationed there, when you are looking, when you're standing on Omaha or Utah Beach and you're looking up at the fortified positions of the of the Nazis that were aiming out into the water as those Higgins boats were coming ashore. When you see that, there's got to be a legitimate question in how serious is this threat? How serious, if let's say that Russia is successful in overtaking Ukraine, will they stop at Ukraine? Will they go into Poland? How far do they advance before nations step up and fight back? How much support will they really get from the Chinese? And now here I am. I am a complete civilian. I'm not anybody that's an expert in any kind of diplomacy. And I'm asking questions just based on my small Small picture of what I've seen happen and the history I've witnessed. And so this is a full-time job for a huge department of the of the of our government, and you've got to be on it all the time. All of the moving parts, because we can look at this, the Western world, the what would be called the allies, uh, NATO, when you would look at what happened with Russia and say this was an absolute act of aggression and a completely unprofessional maneuver by the Russian military, by this pilot or these pilots, and it should never have happened and it better never happen again. You're going to get a completely different perspective from the Russians. I guarantee you through their own media, the Russian media is talking to itself. Citizens about the U.S. aggression and how they shot one of our or they grounded one of our drones. They are more powerful than us. And that's what they're telling their people. And we are acting aggressively because that's one of the things that Putin has used to justify his movement into Ukraine is that the U.S. was leading forces to the, to Ukraine so that we could go in and, and invade Russia. They were heading off. This was a, a preemptive strike to stop an invasion of Russia. That's what's being fed to the Russian people. 
Coming up in a moment, um, we're going to talk about something local that's been ongoing and maybe a surprising twist to some. The Attorney General of the state of Arizona, Attorney General Mays, has made a decision about what to do about her predecessor and the election report. We'll get to that coming up in just one moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. In an interesting twist, um, the Attorney General Chris May says she will not take legal action against her Republican predecessor, Mark Burnovich. In an exclusive interview, she said, I don't think my place, it's my place to take any steps against my predecessor. I think it should be left to others, including the state bar, to address this. Now, it, this is fascinating to me because I think there is a level of uh, discernment here um, that in the atmosphere of politics that we live in, especially when it comes to elections and election integrity, that the only thing that would serve in her office doing this would be to put to fan that fire. I think it would fan those flames. And so there's some wisdom here. Um, she's not saying he's not guilty of anything. She's not saying she, he is. She's saying my current position, at least that's my interpretation, probably not my place right now. Let the state bar handle it. Let somebody else handle it. And I think that if, uh, if this if there had been more of an attitude on both on both sides of the election integrity stuff, if both sides had been more like that. I think we would have come closer to a consensus. We're probably never going to get a full consensus on this issue. You're going to be at opposite, opposite sides of the streets on this one for a very long time, whether the election was stolen or it wasn't stolen. And, um, But I think someone saying – and I'm going to read her exact quote. I don't think it's my place to take any steps against my predecessor. I think it should be left to others, including the state bar, to address this. So if you aren't familiar with what's happening, um, there was a complaint that was filed by the governor who, in, according to the story, sparred with Brnovich, alleging that likely unethical conduct by Brnovich is harmful to our democracy, our state, and the legal profession itself. Um, Mays, who was elected in November as one of the closest races in history, said Tuesday she didn't want to look backwards. She said, obviously, plenty of folks have made complaints about it in the state bar of Arizona. I'll leave it at that. You can get really bogged down in focusing on the past. We need to focus on now, uh, focus now on the future. We need to turn the page and do good work for the people of Arizona. Um, I think that's a measured, prudent thing to say. That if we had had people that had said, you know, if I stick my nose in this, it's going to cause this thing to blow up. If there were more people that said that, um, even though she probably has a right to, I mean, her office obviously can do something. She's saying that right now is probably not the right thing for me to do. Let the state bar handle it. And as far as if there are going to be any charges or there should be any charges, again, let a body that is non-biased, non-partisan, um, let them decide it on its merits and not on its political um, effects. And for me, that's that's a better way of handling it. I would, you know, again, I, I'm caught in two places because I was someone that said an audit is prudent. It's the right thing to do. Democrats and Republicans across the country have complained at different times that elections were stolen and not run the right way. So it's not a bad idea. As important as our election system is in this country, and especially here in the state of Arizona, how how had such a passionate issue. I was not against at all. Was I against an audit? 
But the audit that we got was not the audit that we needed. I knew it from the beginning. Most people understood it from the very beginnings of the company that they hired. And so it was done and it appeared to be because it was done in a way that was geared toward one conclusion. That's the way it was perceived from the beginning. You hired a company whose CEO said, um, I I know the election stolen and I can prove it. They allowed a documentarian into their building to film a documentary about the stolen election during the audit. That's just inappropriate behavior when you're speaking to the masses. You already have, and this is where I get frustrated with my own political party sometimes. There are a group of people that you already have that are by your side, that have your back. Money, talent, and time, they are all in. They are there for you. You have them. So you did an audit to cater to them to make sure that they heard what they wanted to hear, but you left out the people out there that could be convinced. There are as many people out there that would never be convinced of any impropriety as there are people that were convinced that everything was improper about that election. But there is a huge swath of people in the middle that just wanted to know. And they probably still want to know, are we doing elections the best way we can? If not, why not? And how do we make them better? That's not a bad position to have about anything we do, especially the way we elect people. But that's not what we got. And so with this report, the way it was handled, the attorney general is saying, I'm moving forward. I'm not going back to 2020. I'm not going back to 2022. I'm looking forward. I I think that that is a prudent thing for her to say. I think that that is a a measured, uh, tempered way of doing things. And hopefully it works out for the best. It, It should I mean, I can't imagine it won't. And if there was if there were misdeeds done and I've been very open about this, I've had a rapport with Mark Brnovich, with the attorney general going back to his days with the with the gaming commission. Um, He's I I, I like Mark Brnovich. This is not I have absolutely no personal act acts to grind with Mark Brnovich whatsoever. And it's my hope that he didn't do anything wrong. I don't want to see that happen. But if there is accountability that's necessary. Let the state bar and let some of these other um, nonpartisan, unbiased resources get to the bottom of something that people can look at and say that wasn't done with malice. That was done out of you know necessity. What we're going to do in a moment is um, we're going to talk about the tax burden. How does Arizona stack up to the rest of the country when it comes to tax burden? I've got the list. Guess who's number one? We'll talk about that coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. It seems like a morning for Yacht Rock, doesn't it? Seems like it's kind of a Yacht Rock kind of morning, doesn't it, Jeff? Doesn't it feel a little Yacht Rock? I went outside. At 8.30, we played Bobby Caldwell's What You Won't Do for Love, and there was a reason for that. What was the reason? Are you familiar with Bobby Caldwell? Yeah. Uh-huh. He passed away last night oh, at I did age not know 71. That. Oh, my gosh. I did not know that. Yeah. Wow. It was, it was it, it's shocking because I heard a story about him just this last Saturday about that song. Yeah. And then he passes away five yeah, days later. It's, it's tough. Um, yeah, but I love this kind of, I know this is your jam. This is this kind of music. This is, is my jam. It is okay, your yeah. jam. <laughs> this is Am my I right? Jam. I mean, this, yeah. is, this is the kind of music you love. This is my jam. Mine too. I, I yeah. love it. Somebody please get that on tape. <laughs> 
All right, thanks for being here, everyone. Um, I have an interesting a bit of data, and it's the it is the burden for taxes for the taxpayers of every state, and it's listed from highest to lowest overall, and it's broken down in a couple of different categories: um, total tax burden, property tax burden, individual income tax burden, and the total excise tax burden. Um, if you had to guess who number one is, you'd be right. It's New York, the state of New York. Number one, um, we in Arizona overall are number 29 on the list. Our total tax burden is 8.39%, 2.5% property tax, which is 35th, very, very low. Um, our uh, income tax burden, individual income tax burden is 1.6%. We are 40th on the list, which is excellent. And then total sales excise tax burdens, we are then jumped to number eight because of the other ways that they collect taxes here in the state of Arizona. Um, we actually fared better or a little bit worse than Texas, who is 32nd on the list. But the number one state for taxes is New York. Then it's Hawaii, Maine, Vermont, and Minnesota rounding out the top five. The reason why I bring this up is there is a new tax. The president is always in the way. They are looking at new ways of taxing. In, and I just look at this and I think, how many different ways do we tax the American people? Um, and I want to just talk about a couple of specific things because of the economy and how it's all connected. We understand that inflation is crushing the American public. And I think the president started this. What I mean by that is the president decided to call out private industry, starting with the oil companies, extending it to the distributors and to the retailers, which they pulled back on immediately. That was a statement of ignorance. I don't think they understand how little income, how, and what I mean by that is a profit a, a retailer gets on a gallon of gasoline. For all of the money that it costs them to store and distribute fuel, they don't make a lot of money. Most of the time, that's to get you in the store to buy something else. Regardless, I, I, the president the president called out private industry, went on to the food growers, looking at their obscene profits. Go and look at the income of our government. The United States Treasury takes in more money every month, every quarter, every year. And in Arizona, we actually saw that happening and uh, in, you know, in the state coffers, and they lowered taxes and revenue went up. We've attracted industry. Things are going better. And in the end, it's proving that taking less money from the taxpayer. I don't even think this is a partisan thing because the Republican-Democrat argument should be how do we spend, how do we prioritize the spending of the tax dollars we have? It, it, to me, it's a foregone conclusion. You lower taxes, you raise revenue. It's a good thing for everyone involved. Take as little from the American taxpayer, rich or poor, as you possibly can. But one of the things I want you to think about, and, and maybe this makes sense to you, maybe it doesn't, but um, I am not someone um, – I don't have – the amount of wealth uh, that it would be that I would fall into the area of the estate tax. Um, I don't own enough property. I don't have that much money. I'm probably never going to have either. Um, but for the people that do, here in Arizona, um, there's an old song that says, my heroes have always been cowboys. And I will tell you that that's been the truth since I was a little boy. Um, I failed miserably at my attempt to be a rodeo cowboy, but it's my one of my favorite sports. And my favorite people that I've met along the way in my life have been cowboys and cowgirls. And 
we're talking about people that are farmers and ranchers here in the state of Arizona. These are hardworking people, and many times they're subject to the estate tax because the land that they work is worth so much more than the money that they earn. But because they own the land, when it's passed down from one generation to the other, the generation that inherits the land ends up having to sell most of it off or a big piece of it off to be a sharecropper because of the estate tax. We actually rob the grave. Our government is so in need of revenue that it steals from the dead. Imagine you, and, and I would love to be in this position. I'm being totally honest. I would love to be in a financial position where I have been smart enough and I have done well enough financially that I am going to pass along a huge amount of money and whatever else, an inheritance to the people I love, that I'm going to leave a legacy of financial security to the people that I love. I would love to be able to do that. But imagine if you do that, you've paid taxes your whole life, you've managed your money well, you've invested well, you've grown your wealth, and the last thing you do before you pass on is ensure that the people you love will be able to enjoy that. It's an absurd thing that they have to sell off part of that portfolio to pay taxes on something that's already been taxed. So I, I'm going down one road only because of the – if you think about what we do, if, we, if you and I, where we might disagree on a lot of different issues, you might be a pretty staunch Democrat on a lot of different social issues and how things should be fixed and spent by the government. But how do we, how do we disagree on this issue? How do we not look at this and say it's robbing from the – it's stealing from the dead? Think about who you are and who you love most. Think about the people, whether it's your children or family or whoever it is, if you don't have children, that you would want to take care of. And to think that when you pass away, unless you've done some creative thing, the government's going to swoop in and take a big chunk of it because they believe they're entitled to it. I think that's overstepping at the greatest level. But I think it shows you an example of the, the, the thirst that our government has to take more revenue. They're planning new revenue enhancers. They're planning new revenue streams. They're finding new ways to tax. The president of the United States has got a proposal on unrealized capital gains. So it's not it's not wait until you sell your property for more than you paid for it that we tax you. We know what it's worth right now, and you're going to pay the taxes of what it's worth right now, even though you haven't sold it. I mean, it's an absurd thing to think about. And so when I, the reason why I talked about where we are compared to the rest of the country, we're at number 29 overall, which is, means we're in the lower half. That's great. I think that's terrific. We should be taxing our citizens as little as possible to do the things we need to do in the state. I just thought it would be an interesting, an interesting thing to talk about. Um, our schools rebranding. We talked about school choice. That's become – that's sweeping the country in many places. Our schools now rebranding to entice families to enroll their children there. We'll talk about that, what's happening right here in the valley coming up here in just a moment. And strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here um, on this rainy day. Take it easy on the roads. Make sure you keep it locked here. We'll get you all the updates on traffic and what's going on throughout the day and get you where you're going safe and sound and hopefully informed and entertained. Um, 
I just thought this was an interesting thing. Julie and I were going over. Julie is the producer of the show. I should do the introductions before the show, not just the guests that you uh, know who's involved. But Julie and I were going over the show, and, and Julia printed out a story that said schools are missing um, the word school in their names. It's just interesting how they're rebranding in some of our public schools. Is this um, – Part of the school choice thing that they're trying to identify some specialty. Kerr Elementary School is cool, is is now the Kerr Center for Agri Science. Um, is it Serene? I hope it's pronounced Serene or Serene. Is now a Montessori center. The Alma Elementary School is called the Alma Learning Center. Uh, Mesa Education Center is the East Valley Academy. Mesa Center for Success at Jordan, the Mesa Center for Success. Highland Elementary School is now called Highland Arts Elementary. Um, the reason why I bring this up is education is changing. Just like every everything else, every other industry changes. And you can call it bad, but you better be up with it. Um, when and and just as an odd, um, I guess uh, anecdote. Uh, when I was in the in the trades, I did work at some of the big phone uh, switching stations where the phones were switched, and you could hear them clicking. It sounded like crickets in the. Uh, in the basement of a, of a phone center. And then I was part of the telecom thing that was going on where they were using a lot where internet became a big thing. And I went to some of the other places and I was putting in clean power, what's called isolated ground places for technology uplink centers. And so I was morphing with the industry. And if you didn't morph with the industry, you get left behind. Those of you that are my age at 55, we remember a rotary dial telephone and some of us remember party lines. Now everybody has a smartphone. And it wasn't that long ago when they were flip phones or Blackberries. So morphing with the time and not fighting it is always key to this. Is education beginning to change? And it should. We have more options. We should have more options. In the end, what we want is we want an educated youth so that they become educated adults so that they can learn if they want to change careers. They have the ability to learn something new. In the end, isn't that the goal? And it is to me. And so when you have these the, – the school I went to in southwest Florida um, – Years ago, I went to Cypress Lake High School. It was one of five schools in the district in the Fort Myers area. And um, I went to Cypress Lake High School. It is now a Cypress Lake Performing Arts High School. And so they are a specialized school. Um, and it, it is, to me, one of the things that um, is most important is that whatever whatever industry you're in, you've got to change. Um the L.A. school district warns of a possible lockout or a sh- uh, shutdown. 65,000 workers in L.A. may be walking off the job in an attempt to get the school districts to cave into union demands. Um, and I just think that when we look at things like this um, – we have to take a look at the balance because I am someone that believes I'm a capitalist. And I, so I'm a capitalist at every level, meaning that if you want good people to come into your industry or come into your business, you have to pay them. If you want to keep good people, you have to pay them. So I am an advocate for teachers making good money. Good teachers should make good money. But I'm also an advocate 
for um, for oversight and, and accountability. And right now, we don't have that really in Arizona. They're autonomous at the school board levels. They do what they do, and then they blame everybody else. And I, I just think that as this changes, as we see parents have the ability and see what that ability looks like, where you can take your child and tax dollars attached to your child, and you can go somewhere else. You see these schools are specializing. If you've got a kid that has a knack for science, and since they've been a, 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 a really small child, they want to be a scientist. Why wouldn't you go to a school that is geared in that direction? I mean, these are the, to me, that's a no-brainer. We have so many people. If, if you're someone that wants to be a journalist, if you want to be in PR, if you want to do anything in that realm, you go to Cronkite. And it's not just in Arizona. This is across the country. The Cronkite School is known. Um, I was just in New York doing some stuff for CNN, and I was on a panel with a woman who lives on the Upper East Side of New York. She was born and raised in Manhattan, and she has lived there her entire life. She specializes in um, uh, the digital world. And we got to talking and uh, about what I do in talk radio, and I'm in Arizona, and she said, oh, you guys have the Cronkite School out there. That's how well-known that school is. That's how specialized it is. A degree from the Cronkite School has a lot of credibility because of how great it is. They specialize in that area. That doesn't denigrate the other degrees that are offered. It says, listen, this is a specialty here. And if you're going to do that at the high school level, why, why wouldn't you do that? Elementary schools, if kids are, in a, are specializing, that doesn't mean they don't have the core curriculum everywhere else. But if there is a way to get them moving in a certain direction. I just think it's smart. I, I think this is the the sign of things to come when it comes to education is that we are going to see schools try to stand out for what they offer that's best, just like colleges do, trying to get people to come and bring their tuition and their dollars into that school. I think it's a smart move. I think it is a brilliant move, and I hope it works out. What we're going to do just after 10 o'clock is uh, shift gears. I'm going to pretend it's Friday because it's almost like a Friday um, is that we've got March Madness starting tonight. Your ASU Sun Devils are going to be in the tournament in a play-in game. We're going to talk about that play-in game. We're going to talk about the other Arizona schools that are in there and have a little fun and make some predictions in this tournament. Then in the end, of course, those predictions are sure to go wrong. We'll talk about it all next.